Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Your Majesty. Why do you do this, Mommy? Why do you all do this? Fine. As long as he's prepared for there to always be three in the marriage. Er uwe and are anhredeth on hedu. The third being... Andrew Parker Bowles. Hi there, you're listening to Royals, the only podcast that goes behind the walls of Buckingham Palace. My name's Zoe Burrell, and I'm a writer about all things royal at New Idea magazine. And I'm Angela Mollard, I'm a journalist, author, and proud royal expert. Now, we hope that you've all been watching The Crown because today we're going to be chatting all about the new season and how much of it was true. We're also going to talk about the strange way one character prepared for her role, plus the royal kidnapping that never made the show. I know, that's interesting, isn't it? Oh, I know, can't wait to talk about that. It's almost like we've got a bonus episode for our (laughs) listeners on what didn't make The Crown. (laughs) You can thank us later. So I've loved this season of The Crown so far. Compared to the other two, how are you finding it? Oh, it's different, Yeah, I think. It started off a little bit slow, I feel, Mm. but then sort of built up. Mm, I agree with you. I I sort of was a bit hesitant the first couple and then we got to the the episode about Wales and the mining village, which when I was in London, uh, I I used to always wonder why the Queen went to to that particular village so often. And um, it was fantastic seeing that story, that very, very sad story. Obviously, we won't spoil it for people who haven't watched it but it's a it's a cracker of an episode but yeah no I'm I'm loving it and there's been a lot of criticism about it Zoe that you know it's not meeting the mark of the first two series but for me that blend of history and these fresh new characters is just you know completely compelling I know it has been very exciting seeing the new characters come in (laughs) we'll get to them yes right how much of it is true yeah, interesting. Well, look, Robert Lacey, who's written the companion guide to the crown, and he's a, a royal historian, you know, amazing man, knows so much. He can talk on anything. You, you know, you could put a picture of the royals in front of him. Um, in fact, one of the producers at Channel 7 said to me last week when they had them him on the show is that they just put a picture up and he could talk to anything. He's so familiar. <laughs> anyway, Robert Lacey's a, a consultant historian on, on the series, and he said, you know, his comment on it is that there's a difference between history and the past and that his historians are like gardeners and his comment is we stand there with a sieve and all the events of the past go through the sieve and a lot of it falls below and it's what's left in the sieve historically that they have formed this series around but but he and Peter Morgan who made the show have very much focused on episodes in history and then built a story around them so it is a drama it's not a documentary it is a drama and so for instance things like Princess Alice the Duke of Edinburgh's mother. She's a Greek nun. Uh, she comes for a while to live at, at, at Buckingham Palace. And there's a there's a role that she plays in the in the Queen finally allows cameras into Buckingham Palace to sort of create a documentary around the royals. And she's, you know, that that dull as dishwater water and, and it's not very interesting. And none of them are very happy about doing it. And there's an there's a scene where Princess Anne sort of shuffles Princess Alice out and Princess Alice turns out to be the best interview of the whole Ooh, series. She has such a fascinating 
history, doesn't she? She does. It was amazing to learn about that. It was, but she doesn't actually, uh, this never happened in real life. So there's things like that, that they use creative license to expand, make it entertainment as opposed to information. Further on in the series, the relationship between Charles and Camilla develops and there's some conversations between the Queen Mother and Louis Mountbatten that they have to sort of get Charles away so he's not so focused on this relationship. Well, in real life, the Queen Mother and Louis Mountbatten were never, ever on talking terms. They loathed each other. (sighs) So the series has a backbone in history, but it's not chronological and it's not necessarily truthful. So for instance, there's a moment where Charles's relationship is developing with Camilla Shand, as she was then known. And we know that Princess Anne, and this is a matter of public record, had a, a, a brief affair with Andrew Parker Bowles, who would go on to become Camilla's husband. What's happened in this series is that they've overlapped those two things so that those things appear to be happening at the same time when in real life uh, Anne's relationship or affair with Andrew Parker Bowles was very short-lived and, and didn't occur around the time that Charles started seeing Camilla. But I think it works well to present it as such because it shows up the characters of, you know, there's, there's scenes in it where you can see Charles madly in love with Camilla and Anne conversely is sort of... You know, she's a real modern girl in the way that she's 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 a bit of a hookup culture girl, isn't she? She's just yeah, I'll I'll have I a bit can't of that. Believe how much she looks like her as well. Unbelievable! The actress Erin Doherty is drop dead amazing. I know we're going to talk about our favourites, but we have to talk <laughs> about her now. So, what are you? Do you love her? Yes, I do. I know she's just a style. Yeah. She's just captured. You're right. She looks like her, but also her mannerism. She's so sort of independent and haughty. And this is Anne as a young woman, not Anne as we now know her, you know, now a woman in her 60s. What are you doing? Leaving. But I don't want you to. You just said you did. No, I didn't. I said I don't want you to get hurt. This conversation is going round and round in circles. I preferred it when we were going round and round in circles. She's youthful. She's snotty. She's jolly pleased not to have the main job as the heir to the throne. But I really found it touching the relationship between her and Charles. Apparently that's not now the case. They're not as close as that. But I really like the way there's a scene where Charles is having to do something that he doesn't really want to do and he's he's fairly ineffective at speaking up for himself. And she walks out of the room and then she just gets to the door and she thinks she goes back and she just gives him a really sweet kiss on the cheek, a really sisterly, supportive call. In the next scene, though, she's she's basically hanging up on him. So she's, <laughs> she's very petulant and impulsive. And I love, love, love her character. And she's a theatre actress and she's mostly done theatre. Apparently she went, did four auditions and they loved her. And I think she's brilliant, a brilliant choice for Princess I can for Princess definitely Anne. see why. Yeah, I, I think we're going to, it's a bit like Claire Foy sort of came, you know, who played the Queen, obviously, in the first two seasons. She came from nowhere and then she's got all these film parts subsequently. I can completely see Erin Doherty just completely riding with it and, and being a massive, massive star. She's got a really interesting face, hasn't she? Mm, yeah. She does. Yeah, I love it. And I know you mentioned the Queen and Claire Foy, but now we have Olivia Coleman in the role. What do you think of her? Well, there's been a lot of mixed reviews about Olivia Coleman. Everyone said, look, you know, she's a brilliant actress, no question about that, but she's not really the queen and she hasn't she hasn't nailed the queen. Look, I beg to differ. I think what's interesting about the show is that it covers so many decades. It's a, a huge stretch of history. And I think whereas Claire Foy sort of captured that total implacability and that blank canvas and that face, which was truly inscrutable, I can see that Coleman is a more... Uh, character-filled actress. So you see more on her face than you than you did with Claire Foy. But 
I rather like the interchanges between her and Prince Philip. I think there's real depth in that relationship. And whereas the first two seasons looked at the beginning of their relationship, I'm really enjoying seeing what a support they are to each other. As I say, it's a dramatised version. So I suppose I'm loving Olivia Coleman in response to Prince Philip as much as I am on her own. Uh, I particularly like the Welsh episode and and also I think her portrayal taking the Queen through this sort of middle age where she's a queen, she's a mother, um, she's now on to, I don't know, third or fourth uh, prime minister that she's had to deal with. I think she's very dexterous in giving us an insight into those very many roles. And there's a wonderful speech, which I thought really was interesting in terms of Prince Andrew this week. I can't remember which episode. I think it must be around six or seven, where she basically says to Prince Charles, we are a blank canvas. We are not allowed to have an opinion. We don't have a point of view. This is after Charles's investiture uh, as the Prince of Wales, in which he gives a a very strident speech. And she sort of uh, talks, and it's this, this sort of encapsulating speech where she says what it means to be royal. And I felt the the hairs on the back of my neck just tingling at what it means to be her, which is that she can't have an opinion. She can't endorse something and critique another thing. She has to keep this very straight line through politics, through the arts, through culture, through international affairs. She can't say anything. And how many of us are in that position? We're all entitled to a viewpoint. She interfaces with the public yet she can barely say a thing about what she's witnessing or experiencing. And that speech, I think, was very telling because I watched it a a couple of days after the Prince Andrew interview. And to me, it illuminated why Prince Andrew should never have done the speech he did, the the interview he did uh, in relation to his friendship with Epstein in the allegations against him. So, yes, I can see what the critics are saying about Olivia Coleman, but I'm prepared to extend her that latitude to do it her way. And I love I love the selection of stories. I love how episodic it is. It isn't a running narrative. It's a selection of really interesting moments, both in history, you know, the man on the moon, Louis Mountbatten's coup, the Princess of Wales investiture, you know, events that happened in Britain at the time. And I think that she works very well from that episodic perspective. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioning the Prince of Wales investiture. I think that was maybe one of my favourite episodes. What did you love about it? Oh, I think it's just really fascinating learning more about Charles mm. and kind of seeing him, you know, he was a bit funny yeah. and caring and I feel like we don't really see that with no, him. So it was kind of nice. More idiosyncratic, don't you think, than we if we see him as a sort of slightly odd man that we can't really relate to. Mm. But I thought his you know, he's always been interested in literature and that was one of the problems with his marriage with Diana is that she didn't read anything. I mean, she wasn't a reader and they went on honeymoon, of course, and he brought out all these books, to brought these books with him to read and she was sort of bemused as to why he'd brought them. <laughs> but, um, I, yeah, I think I agree with you. It's, it's a very sympathetic portrayal yes, of Charles, it isn't is. it? it? You know, the whole writing around it is is showing the relationship between the Queen and Charles and how hard she is on him and how he really lacks close friends and company. And, you know, he, he even establishes a, a friendship with Edward VIII, who is the, the king that abdicated. I think the actor is amazing. I can't remember his name, Josh somebody, but I love the way he studied how Prince Charles constantly pulls at his shirt cuffs. And it's a, it's a very Prince Charlesy thing to do and twists the signet ring on his finger. He's just 
brilliant. And I can't wait to the next series when we get to see him meeting Diana, obviously. Yes, I know. That would be great. Yeah. And I have to say, I'm pretty impressed with Charles for learning Welsh. <laughs> That was phenomenal, wasn't it? So it yes, incredibly hard. Yes, so for the the investiture is the Prince of Wales, which a massive occasion. You know, the Welsh are often, oh God, that often in when I lived in Britain for ten years, and I have Welsh nieces, and it, look, they are unfairly maligned. The Welsh, they are wonderful people. Their voices are so sing songy and beautiful. My, both my nieces actually speak. Fluent Welsh. Oh, wow. Um, and as do the as do the parents. And I love, I love that language. I once went to a nice Stedford where one of them was was delivering a poem in Welsh, and it was one of the loveliest things I've ever seen. But the English have a lot of antipathy towards the Welsh. But I thought the historical reason for Charles going to Wales and really embodying uh that country and having a, a deep knowledge of it, which was reflected in his speech. And I won't won't spoil it by <laughs> by saying how he delivers and what he says in that speech. But yes, I thought that was a really interesting, lovely, lovely relationship between him and his Welsh tutor and his willingness to be a sort of uh, vessel for understanding as opposed to, you know, he is going to be a different king than the queen, uh, than the queen has been. You know, she she is this um, stiff upper lip and inscrutable and he's not so far along the line as, as, say, William and Harry and Kate and Meghan and discussing their feelings, but he's a step towards that. And I think there's been much criticism of the monarch that he might be and he's sort of this deluded character, but we must remember that this guy focused on sustainability and environmentalism well before anybody else was looking at it. And that's because he's fundamentally curious. He asks questions. I think there's a lot of interest in other people that's uh, genuine. And he's tried, and you see that in the series, he's tried to have a role while he spent his whole life waiting for the prize. And as he says at one point, you know, it's an irony that the only thing that can elevate him to the to the job that he was born to be is a terribly sad thing. That's his mother's death. And I just, I love the character. I love how it's been written. I think it's it's possibly very true to him. I think it's of all the characters, probably the one that's the most representative of who he actually is in real life. And as you said, the actor does such a good job portraying him. Unbelievable. But can we also talk about Tobias Menzies? Oh, yes. <laughs> His voice, so Tobias Menzies plays uh, the Duke of Edinburgh. Um, and I loved, loved, loved uh, the first actor that played the Duke of Edinburgh in the first two series. He was phenomenal. But I, I think Tobias Menzies is even better. <laughs> We're getting into the stage with the series where he keeps saying, you know, he's known for his gaffes, isn't he, Prince Philip? But we're also seeing the struggle he has with the position. You know, he's, his wife is the, the big boss and he's kind of got no purpose. And there's a wonderful episode about the moon landing and how that impacts on Prince Philip. And it's beautifully judged. And his anger with the dean of the church at Windsor. It's just terrific. That's it. That's the last time. And so the Lord... No, on Sunday, while well, you lot are in here, I'm going to spend this hour doing something useful. And his sort of outburst, anyway, I, his voice is brilliant. I could watch him do a series on his own. I would find <laughs> it brilliant to watch. Did you love him? Yes, I thought he was great. Yeah. And because I was a fan of Outlander Yes, well. yes. And so, yes. But it's such a different character because he's quite sort of sinister and evil in moments of Outlander. I haven't seen Outlander. Is oh, that what okay. he's like? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so he okay. sort of plays two characters, a modern character and a one back in history and 
very different people, but he does them both very well. Oh, what do you think of Charles Dance, who plays Mountbatten? Who oh, was, I've always loved him. Yeah, he's he's just uh, he's just sort of got a face. He's got that brilliant face that you can't stop looking at, hasn't he? I just mm. I find him I find him very interesting, and uh, I love that character too. I, I, and you know, obviously he's Game of Thrones, isn't he? Yes. 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 So, um, <laughs> you know, it's funny seeing these people pop it up is. in their different roles, but I really like the ones that we haven't seen before. Erin Doherty, she's, she's brilliant. Do you know how the actors prepare for any of their roles? Oh, Have okay. you heard any well, little I love, I love this little anecdote that I was reading. So basically all of them have been given expense accounts and they can take out their the person that they're playing if they're still alive. So, for instance, or they can take out people uh, that knew their character in real life uh, for lunch or dinner or whatever to try and – now, obviously – Olivia Coleman's not going to get to sit down and have lunch with the with the Queen, is she? Or Tobias Menzies, you know, is not going to sit down with with Prince Philip. But what's interesting is Jason Watkins, who plays Harold Wilson, the Prime Minister, who I think is marvelous, frankly. He's just really encapsulates. If you look at pictures of Harold Wilson, he's brilliant. Anyway, he took out friends of Harold Wilson's four times for lunch, the same friend. And he took this friend, I don't know what the man's name was, but this man said, he kept asking me how Harold Wilson held his cup of coffee and details <laughs> like that were wonderful. But I love a comment that Robert Lacey made, who, and Robert Lacey, obviously this historian with the companion volume to the crown. And he said that Helena Bonham Carter didn't consult Princess Margaret, obviously, because she's dead, mm-hmm. but she consulted a mystic and she's been channeling Princess oh. Margaret through this mystic, telling her how to play the role. And I would have thought Robert Lacey, being a historian, would just scoff at this. But he <laughs> said, he's come out and said, I love Vanessa Kirby, who played Margaret in the first two series. And I absolutely love Helena Bonham Carter's take on Margaret, and I think the episode where, where she uh, and her husband go to America is just phenomenal. The script is so tight. It's really, really oh, and funny. I love that dinner party with <gasps> the amazing, president. <laughs> amazing dinner party where they all make up limericks that are really, really rude and they dance and get very drunk and she's hilarious. Uh, it, and that's what this show has got because you've got that sort of light partying and then you've got the mining disaster in Wales, which was, you know, incredibly dark and moving uh, episode. And I love that about The Crown that they've just captured these moments in history and sort of packaged them up with extremely good writing, wonderful characterization. And it doesn't feel overwritten. It doesn't feel that too much has been stuffed into it. It feels like there's a they've selected very carefully which stories that they that they wanted to tell. Of course, there was a story they missed out. There was. There was. There? So and there's been a lot of conversation about this. Why was Princess Anne Kidnapping. So back in uh, 1974, there was an attempted kidnapping of Princess Anne. Huge story of the day. Anne had recently married her husband, Mark Phillips. She was about 23. Uh, She was driving back to Buckingham Palace in a maroon Rolls Royce and she was stopped. A white Ford escort came up next to them. Uh, Lone gunman got out of the car. He shot her police officer in the shoulder and he attempted to kidnap Anne. And there were various people, sort of six or seven men around at the time that that fought him off. But Anne apparently was showed tremendous fortitude herself. Now that's a that's a really interesting story to tell. The reason they haven't, according to those, according to Lacey, who's the historian on the show, is that they couldn't fit everything in, and they had to choose 
what was significant. And while he acknowledged that that was an incredibly important story, it just didn't quite fit with the timeline and the stories they wanted to tell and the characters they wanted to develop. But I think that's what's interesting is that a show like this leads us to want to find out more about the time. And, you know, I find myself Googling, oh, oh, what did happen with that? And what did happen with that? And it sort of takes you off in a rabbit warren of stories around the monarchy. So it's, it's, it's juggernaut, really. It's this television show, but I think it broadens out into deeper curiosities about moments in history. And I definitely think that's why so many people love it. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, it, it, it sort of feels like this, that you, you're part of another world almost. And, and, like you laugh at it and it's nostalgic. It sort of evokes so many emotions and, you know, for, particularly for people that lived through those times, you know, who, who were there when the Queen went through her coronation and, you know, when Edmund Hillary got to the top of Everest, which happened the same year, when events in Wales happened, when Prime Ministers, uh, you know, I can't wait, for instance, to see when Margaret Thatcher. Um, oh, that will be exciting. Who, Gillian Anderson. Yeah, Gillian Anderson yeah. from um, The Fall and uh, what's the other? Ex, um, what's Gillian Anderson? Uh, that, the X-Files. X-Files, yes, yes, that's right. I mean, if you saw The Fall, she is a police uh, investigator. She's brilliant. I could completely see her. And I love the fact she's um, American. Like we haven't just all gone with British actresses and actors. I think it's brilliant how they've sourced and auditioned people for the show. I know. Can't wait for the next season. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's interesting. I think we should talk about why it's so popular. It's one, it's sort of, I, I've been thinking about why it is so popular and I, it's, we're just fascinated with the mystique of royalty, aren't we? Um, as Lacey says, you know, it's hard to imagine that we we care about a middle-aged woman living in London being our head of state, but she's so much more than that, isn't she? And it's interesting here in Australia that we've had two referendums to try and bring about a re- uh, republic and those have both failed. And then there's conversations now about the fact that there's new young royals and that we're interested in. And, you know, as we're going to talk about in a minute, uh, our new idea poll has ta- has looked at our favourite royals and I think the results are really interesting because they speak to the future of the monarchy. So I think watching The Crown takes us back to the stories and the, and the genesis of the, the, the monarchy and, and, and how it related to lives through the last century. But I think it's also generated a lot more interest in the future of the monarchy. It certainly has. And looking at those polls, were there any surprises? Well, <laughs> actually, Kate Middleton is the hero, isn't, isn't she? Isn't she just? She just, I, I thought the queen, it would be the Queen would be all over it and Harry would be very popular. Remember, Harry was the most popular royal for a long time. So we did a poll uh, with our readers and the favourite royal couple came out as Kate and William. They were 65%, far ahead of everybody else as the royal couple. In terms of the favourite, and, and just we'll, stay, we'll stick on Kate because Kate was also the most, most stylish with 63%. And the next most stylish was regarded as Meghan with only 9%. Um, most loved the Queen at 34%. Kate, very, very close to knocking her off her perch with 33%. Favourite wedding dress was Kate with 58%. Loved her wedding dress. Megan only 7%. Just a couple of interesting ones. Most missed royal. It is, in fact, Diana. She was 80% uh, favourite for most miss. And finally, the favourite royal child. Charlotte, she eclipsed both Louis and George with 31% of the votes. Louis, 27% and George, 
only 22 percent i'm not I sure why it's her cheeky her cheeky I think, nature and i think it is sticking her tongue out sticking her tongue out, sticking her tongue out and waving all the time and <laughs> yes. absolutely she is going to be princess anne of her day isn't she i just i'm watching princess anne you know what it's such a benefit to be born the second child and not the first one <laughs> she's going to be exactly like anne you know striding through life and doing whatever she pleases and not having to worry about this mammoth title that she's inherited exactly and we'll all love watching them grow up won't we it, it Indeed. Anyway, can't wait for season four of The Crown. Exactly. <laughs> and they've already started filming, so I know. not and, too long to And wait. we get to see Diana, which I think uh, uh, the actress who's playing her looks fantastic and we've seen stills from that. In fact, we've seen them from Australia where they're at Uluru and um, Airs Rock, as it would have been called, probably in the show because of the timing. But, um, yeah, fantastic. There's, there's a, shots of her in a white dress with a little handbag standing in front of the rock and, I, yeah, can't wait to see that. It'll be great. Thanks, Thanks, Zoe. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Zoe. And thank you so much to everyone for listening. For more on the Royals, please go to newidea.com.au or our Facebook page, New Idea Royals. And, of course, don't forget to pick up a copy of New Idea Royals Monthly on sale now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 